Benfica Podcast is one of the founding members of Benfica Independent. Benfica Independent is an independent platform made by fans for fans. And in it, you can find our podcast, along with many other podcasts, along with articles of opinion, video segments, and much, much more. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Benfica Independent, with exclusive contents for our Patreons. Hasta que no estás aquí dentro no sabes la grandeza de, de este equipo. Sí, es un club que tiene una grandeza que no se comprende si no estás aquí dentro. Son de una magia única, benfiquista. Son nos sentimos así. Por muchos desgustos que podamos tener, valores más altos se levantan. O valor mais alto que se levanta em termos futebolísticos chama-se Benfica. Quero o Benfica intimidar o adversário. Quero um manto sagrado entrar com vocês em qualquer estado. E estamos, pá! É isso que eu quero! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking to the Dobrifica podcast. My name is Alfredo Fumasas. With me, as always, Dave de Oliveira. What's happening, Dave? Here we are for another what? podcast. Yeah, another podcast, another night, another podcast, as uh, Steve uh, used to say. Great to be back on. Uh, we're still winning, baby. Just keep winning, and uh, we winning, keep looking keep forward. We keep yeah. winning and we keep looking forward to uh, doing these podcasts. So great to be back on uh, here tonight, Alfredo. Yeah, awesome. So here we are for um, episode number 459. And as you, as Dave alluded to, keep winning. So we're, we're perfect at the uh, international break. Something that uh, was a bit of a, kind of like a, a, if you're, if you're traveling or sailing on a, on a, on a, on a ship and if you're, route is from the start of the season and the end is the championship we've kind of reached uh kind of some safe landing in between there now and we're actually perfect dave would did you ever think that we'd be uh perfect up until this point the way the last couple of seasons have uh been going i, I i'm gonna be honest and say no i don't think we would uh we were gonna be perfect but uh it's a welcomed uh change i think we all deserve a, a little bit of this uh, in our lives after the last uh, couple of seasons that uh, our club has put us through. So uh, I, I'll be honest, was not expecting a perfect uh, start, but um, pleasantly surprised and I'll, I'll take this. Yeah. No, and some people, you know, and I kind of feel the same way that they like this monotonous um, life, Benfica following life, right? Where it's just like the question is, how many are we going to win by not uh, if we're going to win today so it, it's been it's been good man i think that uh, a lot of the stress that we had last year in terms of watching games and never knowing how the games were going to turn out at the end because there was always a tale of two halves 
uh, it's kind of turned into something where you could actually sit there and enjoy the games. Just sit there and enjoy it and, and feel confident that this team is capable of, of, of great things, of turning things around, of scoring goals. So it's it's been uh, it's been good, man. It's been good so far. As and I and as I mentioned to you guys, uh, I'm gonna take every win as I can. I don't care if it's an ugly one, if it's a pretty one, if it's one nothing, if it's a goal with score with the ass. I'm, I'm gonna take those wins, man, because it, like you said, we've we've suffered enough. We have suffered enough. Um, but anyway, uh, here we are on the, on the podcast before the international break. Next week we will not be here because of international break. But uh, on tonight's podcast, episode number 459, we'll look back at the Juventus game, uh, Maritimo, and uh, obviously we'll, we'll talk about a couple things uh, with the international break with, uh, with Rafa saying goodbye to the national team. Uh, you'll hear our take on that. And... Um, you know, and also uh, to close out, we'll look at uh, we'll look at October, we'll look at October, and because uh, it's going to be an extremely busy October month for for Benfica with, with extremely important games, both domestically and the Champions League, um, and as you know, uh, the World Cup is is right around the corner in, in November, obviously, and and then we're going to be stopped for a month, month and a half. Dave, do you know what that is? I'm still. I'll double check here on on zero zero. But I was pretty certain I had read that there's going to be some toss of the Liga matches. But don't quote me on that. Let me quickly do a search here and see what I can get back to. But yeah, definitely some some break there in the uh, the middle of uh, October for uh, for Benfica. Yeah, want to say hello to all the Freddies that have joined us. Uh, I know that we're we're usually here on Tuesdays, but um, as you could could hear by my voice, I've had a little bit of a chest cold. And yesterday was was going to be difficult for for us to do the podcast, especially with the way my voice sounded. Uh, sounds a little better today, but still not there yet. But uh, you know, but we're here nonetheless. We're here ahead of this international break. We're happy to be talking about Benfica. And let's talk about the game against uh, Juventus, where Benfica traveled up into Turin uh, in Italy to play Juventus. Uh, and I'll give you the lineup. Vlacodimus was in goal. Ba, Tony Silva, Otamendi, and Grimaldo across the back. Enzo and Tino. Neres, João Mario and Rafa behind Gonçalo Ramos. Uh, heading into this game, obviously, and us having discussed here that the, the games against Juventus are, are really the... The games uh, they're going to dictate whether or not we um, we go on to the next round to the to the knockout stages because uh, we figured the PSG is going to run away with this group and and Juventus the way they've been a little bit in in shambles and inconsistent and also missing some key players uh, we figured that it, it would be a, a good opportunity to go to Turin uh, nonetheless I, I thought that um, we get into the game Dave. I thought that uh, Benfica approached the game kind of cautious, uh, with a lot of respect, um, with a lot of respect for Juventus, but uh, maybe a little bit intimidation, uh, and I, kind of that's what it felt, you know, giving up that goal in the fourth minute, uh, and then kind of like going down a little bit, uh, but responding well after that. Yeah, almost like Benfica had to get that, take that first punch in the the face to kind of wake up and. and kind of uh, settle into the to the game obviously you don't want to go down to uh to Juventus four minutes into the match in uh in Turin right but 
I think after that 15 minute mark, Benfica really settled in and it was really Benfica's game uh, from that point on, right? Benfica controlled the match and uh, it was more of Juventus responding to Benfica's game plan. But yeah, I definitely would agree. Uh, Benfica, I think, gave a little bit too re- too much respect for uh, this uh, Juventus club and um, Juventus made us pay for it early on. But ultimately, once we took that uh, that first punch, uh, we kind of woke up to our, our senses and uh, we started playing our own uh, game and ultimately uh, had a great response back. Yeah, no, it's and after after the half, we I mean we've we've already obviously the the goal before the half it it, it helped right and I think that was something that I don't know if Benfica deserved it at that time we sh- we sure was were a little bit better in the second half of the first half uh but that that penalty was was kind of like a a silly play by the Juventus player but you know I I have to give praise to the VAR for going and picking that up uh and being able to call the referee and say that look you got to go look at this play because it looks like uh the the Juve player despite being out of bounds tries to challenge Gonzalo Ramos and ends up step stepping on him and it looks like a penalty and I, and I, and those are probably the plays Dave that we we never get that at, at yeah. a domestic level but obviously with with international and, and and the way some of these referees are and the way VAR is supposed to be applied it, it just it made a lot of sense and it was good for us but at that time I, I thought that we already had kind of settled down um and we started playing our game and we started building and and we started getting more confidence as the game went on but that that goal by João Mario the penalty kick uh before the half really helped us and then we we also heard in the in a paper there was a lot of questions on what was said at at the halftime and I think that Roger Smith just said you know go out there and, and play your play your game um we're we're better than them and as it turned out, that's what the team did. And I thought that the second half was all Benfica. And I thought just the, the score line, and we were talking about before we came on uh, here live, uh, that it the score line is somewhat flattering for Juventus. Yep, that one hundred percent. That I think the only takeaway that I have for this uh, this game is we uh, lack some 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 more finishing in, in some of these opportunities that we had because two, one on, on the score line for those who uh, didn't watch the game, you would think, ah, oh, Juventus was, was uh, still in this match, but really if, if we had some better finishing and we were able to capitalize on uh, a lot of those opportunities that we had, especially in the second half, we're looking at a three, four, four, one score line. Uh, Mattia Perrin made a couple of big saves, got bailed out by a, a post there as well. But 4-1 is not that far-fetched of a scoreline that um, we could have seen from this game, especially with the opportunities that uh, that we had. But just uh, some poor finishing and ended up being a 2-1 scoreline. Yeah, no, uh, and Sergio Cerqueda is saying uh, the way the team bounces back versus the past two years has made a huge difference. Yeah, when you're confident... Um, not only on the system that you're playing in, your game idea, and also your your teammates, the way everybody is involved in in this team, I think that gives an overall sense of that they could do things, 
you know, that they believe in, in the things that they could do, uh, which is, has never been, uh, it hasn't been the case in the past couple of years. And, and you, you've heard me speak about just the body language of the technical staff on the bench uh, and the way the players celebrate with the technical staff and how happy the technical staff is, is really a difference. And it feels a lot more like a, a unit, like a group than in past years. Uh, so I think that there's that that's one of the factors why the team has has been able to do uh, so well, and also uh, get back into these games. Uh, but really, a, a deserved win by Benfica, and and I know that we looked at on the preview, we looked at what Benfica's track record had been against Juventus, and it was very favorable. And we continue to pile it on. But let me ask you this: I know that you know some Juventus fans. How did that go? Loved it. I loved it. Uh, I told you I was coming into this match confident because I've been watching some uh, some Juventus games going into this, and uh, they're not the Juve uh, of old. And um, even after the the match uh, this past weekend, they lost to lost or or, or tied. They dropped definitely so dropped points. No, uh, bef- that was before uh, before Benfica. They just tied uh, Berlusconi's new team, Monza. Oh, they lost to Monza. They, uh, Di Maria picked up a, a red card, and uh, they were playing uh, most of the match uh, a man down. So they lost after Benfica. I'm still Allegri is still the coach, to be uh, totally honest with you. But uh, we'll see if he's still in charge on the uh, return leg at the uh, Stadio de Luz. But uh, this Juventus is definitely struggling struggling now and I'm just happy that we were able to to pull together and get that uh, the three points yeah Juventus having lost the first game against PSG coming back home and with the pressure of having to to win this game to to remain somewhat competitive in the group stage uh, but when we were looking at the stats and I got up you know the goal point stats it we dominated and almost in every single stat with the exception of you know the amount of fouls that were committed we committed 15 fouls and, and Juve, Juve only committed nine fouls but all the other stats uh main stats are all in favor of Benfica shots shots on target uh actions in in the opponent's box corners uh pass efficiency you know everything even possession. Who would have thought that Benfica would have had more possession than than Juventus playing in Turin? Mm-hmm. I just hey, I I told I was confident going in into this uh, match. I was kind of uh, scared there though, right? Going down four four uh, in the fourth minute, but team yeah. responded well, and and once uh, once the ball was rolling in our, our favor, uh, never looked looked back, and it was it was great to see. Um, I've got a stat here. Uh, not to wrap up the game, but only the the first time Benfica has ever won in Italy against an Italian uh, club, and only the second Portuguese team to ever um, do so. Porto beat uh, Milan in uh, ninety six ninety seven uh, at the San Siro, but uh, Italy isn't too favorable on uh, the Portuguese uh, clubs, and um, we've got a, a result in, in turn there. So, um, lots to be proud about. Yeah. Uh, no, you were saying about this weekend, and Manny Valadon is saying Juventus coach blame, blame, blames Benfica game for a loss this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> this you know when it rains it pours, right? And so I guess it's it's just a 
you know, a compounding of, of misery after misery, bad loss. And I think that um, perhaps, it, you know, and obviously this is a Benfica podcast, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Um, Juventus is probably going to look at this um, international break as somewhat of a reset. And I don't know how much uh, more rope uh, Allegri is going to get from the director yeah, after this uh, international break. A couple of the uh, Freddies here, many uh, Valadon saying Juve can't afford to fire Allegri, but I uh, I I know they they've got some financial um, some some financial difficulties. They're still trying to. I think the worst thing they could have done was bring in Ronaldo there. I know they they thought he was the last missing piece to put him over the edge for Champions League, but if you've seen the team's only rig- regressed since uh, since Ronaldo was there, but. Uh, I think uh, I think they they need to make that uh, Allegri change and come in with somebody fresh, and and build a, a new culture there. But kind of, Allegri, if you want to make some ties, is like kind of like our J, second coming of JJ, right? Everybody thought he was gonna come and save save Juventus, but uh, it's hasn't uh, hasn't happened these last couple of seasons and gone the other way. So it's gonna be yeah. interesting to see here these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I actually read something on a ball or one of the papers, one of the websites today about uh, how when Ronaldo was at Juventus, there was a certain expectation of of how the team should behave and, and the ambition. And I think that what whoever said that, whoever was implying it, was that after Ronaldo left, there wasn't that ambition or that hunger or their expectation or that that competitive edge and i think that think the team has gone down since then so so whether it was because they made that um that effort to go get ronaldo for the money that they went and got him and and then it kind of made things worse for them um afterwards uh i just i just don't know but a lot of people are kind of connecting ronaldo leaving with the juventus decline um, so take it for what it is, and obviously I'm I'm not the the biggest Ronaldo fan as as a lot of people know, but um, but certainly a, a far cry from the Juventus that we're uh, that we're used to. But hey, I'll take it. I'll take it every day. I'll take it. I'll take I'm not going to complain day. one one bit at all. You got stats on this game, and then we can move on. Or uh, did you already? Make the it? only the the only stat was that uh, first time Benfica's ever. Uh, one in Italy against an Italian uh, club there, so yeah, uh, and only the second Portuguese club to ever do so. So uh, historic night in turn uh, for sure last uh, last Wednesday. Yep. Um, so turning our attention now to uh, to Maritimo, and this is a game that on the uh, on the preview I mentioned that this this game had all the makings for a trap game because uh, Maritimo hadn't won a game. They were at Stadio Luz, coming off a, a, a European uh, game, and I before an international break, I thought that there was a, so many factors, uh, and maybe in the past this happens, right? Uh, and now it's a different Benfica, and you you look at this and you go, okay, well, shit, uh, Sporting lost, right? Porto tied, and usually Benfica just shits the bed too. Instead of taking advantage of their direct opponents losing ground, they shit the bed. But screw the trap game, screw shit in the bed. We're going out in style. Five nothing to Maritim. Obviously, a, you know, a, a, a good win 
and then a game that was very key. And and Dave, you and I had, had spoken here about possible uh, rotation, uh, but no, no such thing from uh, from Ba uh, from Ba from uh, Schmidt. Flacodimus Ba, Tony Silva, Otamendi, and Grimaldo. Uh, Fred came in instead of Tino. That was the only change. Uh, and Enzo in the middle. Neres, João Mario, Rafa, and, and Ramos. So really, not a lot of rotation. We felt, well, against Maritim, Maritim hasn't won yet. Maybe this is the perfect time to kind of change that, that midfield duo, give Enzo, give Enzo a break, maybe give him some more minutes to Musa up front. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Benfica went all out because I, I think... And, and I think the, the more we see and, and learn about Roger Smith, we understand how smart he is in terms of the way he thinks soccer and the way he reads the, the game and in the way he reads things. I think that now thinking back, right, and hindsight is twenty twenty, but thinking back and, and thinking if he makes too much of a rotation to the squad, maybe that sends out a bad message, meaning we feel this game is easy enough for us to give some guys that don't usually play some playing time. And I think that maybe that sets the wrong message or that sends the wrong message to the squad. By going with your full squad, with the exception of Fred coming in for Tino, and obviously that's not too much of a downgrade there, I think you, you really send the message to the squad that we're serious and we need this win. Uh, and, and sure enough, that's the approach that that he's that he's had. Uh, and, and look, I would have liked to have seen Enzo get a, get a rest, but I think that the way Roger Smith is approaching these fixtures, and especially understanding the context within the fixtures and where you're playing and how you're playing them, uh, I think that it's been a really good approach. And and obviously, when you're winning, you're winning, and and winning cures all. But certainly, the approach and the thought process behind it I, I can't i can't say anything about it no well how can we complain we're like on this uh close to historic winning uh streak here to open up a, a season and uh roger schmidt's been pushing all the right buttons so far so if who are we to question here two guys behind a couple of microphones on uh, on a benfica podcast whether or not he rotated the squad against the, a last place team, right? This is this is just the luxury that we have at this point of the season, Alfredo. That we're we're debating or not if uh, we should be rotating uh, the squad. Where last season we didn't, we were debating players who should be in the starting lineup. Now we're debating whether or not we should be rotating players. Just just a luxury to have when you're sitting on top and uh, undefeated. So it's a good uh, good problem to have and. Um, luckily we do have the, uh, the international break here. So a couple of these guys can get some rest guys like Enzo, uh, like you mentioned, I would have liked to have seen him, but he did get subbed off around the hour, uh, mark there. So got a little bit of rest, but at the end of the day, it's another, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but we can't really, uh, dispute, uh, Roger Schmidt for not rotating the, the squad at this point when, um, we're still putting up results. Right. So in Schmidt, we trust. Yeah. No, and, and uh, Sergio Cerqueira is always asking, is Bob officially number one? Um, uh. I, I wouldn't say he's like a clear number one. I think they, they could both interchange. Uh, the thing that, Yeah, 1A, 1B. I, I think the, the biggest difference between Ba 
and Gilberto, aside from the age, the stamina, um, the horsepower, right? I think Gilberto brings a lot more experience um, to the game. But in terms of Bob, because you, you still see Bob making some mistakes that are relatively of somebody that's still yet to be in a game and, and learn things about the game. Uh, but Bob and Fodham, you know, and obviously I haven't, I haven't been at Stade Luz this, this season yet and I haven't gotten to see him play live. But from from the, some of the things that I read, that this my man is up and down that wing all day, all days up and down that wing, and he never shows uh, signs of, of being tired. While Gilberto, around the 60, 65 minute, you're already thinking that Gilberto is done. He can't make another another sprint up front to accompany the attack. So I think that maybe that's what what Ba has, um, and then I think that but that Ba also has that. He has really good service, uh, and he he likes to drift into the middle as he gets into the final third and take those shots, which is something that Gilberto doesn't do as often as Bad does. Mm. So I think that, and we've all been saying, we always thought it was a matter of time before Ba would would assume the position. Um, but I think that either either one I'd be happy with. I just think that that uh, Ba right now probably offers more in terms of uh, of stamina and and lung. And also the quality of service. He may not have the same understanding that Gilberto has with Nerj, which I think it counts for a lot. But I think that that will be developed over time. Um, 28th minute, one nothing by Rafa. Then in the second half, we uh, we opened up the float the floodgates. 47 two nothing. Ramos assisted from Ba. 64 3-0. Ramos assisted from Rafa. Uh, then we had the substitutions. Um, 82nd, 4 nothing, 88, 5 nothing. Nerush from Tino and, and then Draxler, uh, which uh, got some more time in a play that uh, I thought the, the Maritim defense was was very passive, but you got to give credit to Draxler, a, a, a rocket, right foot rocket, right into uh, into the net. And, and look, I think it's great for him, for a guy that hasn't played for a long time, to be able to get playing time and, and, and get a goal in front of the fans. And feeling the the love from the fans and the appreciation, I think it's great. But yeah, uh, a natural win for me against uh, against a, a, a very weak muddy team side that, that I don't know if they don't turn things around quick. Uh, I think they might be on their way down. And I know it's early in the season, but usually these holes are very hard to uh, get out of, you know. And they're they're what uh, over six or over oh, seven. Over seven. So. Yep. They, and they just got a new coach, but it's always it's always hard. Dave, stats on this game. Yeah, stats uh, here for the Maritimu game. Uh, 13th consecutive victory for Benfica to open up the season. Uh, they're two away now from tying uh, Sven-Goran Eriksson's record of uh, 15, which occurred in the 82-83 season. And uh, in this match, Benfica held 75% possession uh which is the highest um this season for any club in the portuguese uh, league so uh as you alluded to control uh complete domination from uh, benfica in this match yeah no yeah goal point is 72 72 75 you know i think it you know we we get the gist right but um yeah like you mentioned i think that up until this point and i think they only started measuring it 
um, in the past maybe six or seven years, the amount of uh, possession that the team has had throughout games, and, and Benfica is, is leading this year since it's been recorded. Uh, but yeah, every stat again, I mean, 23 shots against four, 12 of them on target against one. And uh, as you alluded, the 72% versus 28%. And a Maritimo team that just came with every intent not to uh, lose by many. But, uh, you know, it ended up being being bad for them. Um, you had 4 nothing, I had 3 nothing, And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a season of, um, of Benfica exceeding expectations, if you could say that. Right, Dave? Uh, just based on previous seasons, I think I think we've all mentioned in the in the past that this is the Benfica we expect to to give these thumpings to these smaller clubs in, in Portugal. But unfortunately, just the way the last couple of seasons have been going, that hasn't been the case. So it's definitely been a, a much welcomed and, and pleasant surprise to see the Benfica of old that you and I have all uh, been expecting. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll I'll agree with that there. Yeah, I also forgot to mention that John Brooks did get his uh, debut, came in in the 89th uh, minute, and uh, the first pl- the first play he was involved in, it was a foul by him. Well, a lot, a lot of, not to uh, uh, turn it away from Brooks here, but a lot of the Freddies are mentioning uh, Antonio Silva yeah. in the, uh, the chat here, too. Man, it's just uh, on a completely different level. Um, they're saying, not sure how we're going to take him out of the lineup, but... It's a good problem to have. I, I guess we got to cross that bridge when we we get there. But yeah, just appreciate it right I, now while uh, while we can. I think that um, the the past couple of episodes here, podcasts, you've you've heard us gushing about Antonio Silva, especially me. And I think that at this point is it, it's just become a normal thing, right? Um, he, he's he's exceeded everyone's expectations, surpassed um, in terms of. 18 years old soon it will be 19 in october uh but it's kind of surpassed that idea of a, a young player and i think that there's very little people that look at him as a young player anymore that you know they consider him a starter for this team and he has done everything uh and he has proven a lot to a lot of people that he deserves to be in this lineup so like dave says yeah it's, it's a good problem to have man for sure uh, but certainly, I, I think that, yes, it's good to be recognized, and I certainly want to recognize Antonio Silva, and, and we gushed over him. Uh, I just think that at this point, he's just, for me, he's, he's, he's there, man. He's there. Uh, and it, it, it it's not going to surprise me when he makes a mistake because, he, you know, he doesn't have the experience yet. He doesn't have the, the, the number of games in his leg and in, in his – in his head uh and he will make mistakes but i mean i i've ran out of objectives to to really qualify antonio silva in the way that he's been playing the maturity that he's shown um and also you know there was there was a whole clip and i think that everybody watched it in which bonucci comes up to uh joan mario and the kid steps in he puts a finger in his in his face um and there was an interview with him not too long ago, and what he says, I wasn't defending any player. I was, you know, I was defending the club, and that that's what we're supposed to do: defending the defend the team and defend the club. 
so you know, I, I've like I said, I've I've run out of things to good things to say about Antonio Silva, man. It's just at this point, yeah. I think he, he's the biggest surprise of the season so far. And uh, the way he's been going, I know like he's definitely broken out these last couple of weeks. He wasn't called up to the the national, the senior national team this time around, but. Considering that's a place a position that he plays, uh, that the the uh, senior squad is pretty thin. And if he keeps this up for another month, why can't he be on that that World Cup uh, squad? I there's really nobody uh, that I'm looking at the roster right now. If he's able to keep this up in in top form, I I don't see. I wouldn't be surprised. I I would be more surprised if he was left off that World Cup squad. Put it that way. Yeah, let's um. It now being in international break, um, this is the wrong one. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, 12, 12 players to the national team, and uh, I'll I'll give you a list. Joao Mario and and Hamush, actually Joao Mario and Rafa were the original call-ups, and we'll get into the Rafa thing in 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 a little bit. Uh, for Portugal senior, um, Antonio Silva, uh, Henrique Araújo, uh, Paulo Bernardo, to, and and Samuel to the U twenty one. Diego Moreira to the U19, uh, Otamendi and Enzo to Argentina, Vlacodimus to Greece, Orsnes to Norway, and Ba to Denmark were the 12 players uh, to be called. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, so Rafa was called, right? Rafa was called, and um, a few days later, before the national team was supposed to, um, to show up, um, you know, Rafa decided, thanks, but but no thanks, right? Uh, and I'm I gotta be honest. Uh, when I saw the the, the 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 squad come out, I was I was jealous, Dave. I was jealous of Sporting, because Sporting got no players that were called up. And for the and I had this conversation with with Diogo, who was on in the chat today, um, about the national team, about Rafa, and and, and this and that. Uh, but I, I'm not a huge fan of the national team. I'm not a huge fan of, of uh, ever since Fernando Sanchez took over and this whole Ronaldo thing. It's just I don't. I kind of don't really identify with the with the national team in the same way that I used to that I used to identify with the golden generation when Figo Rui Costa were there. So the, the national team has lost a little bit of allure to me in understanding how there's a lot of influences and in, and. In, in, um, nepotism, if you will, in the national team and in terms of um, the agents that represent players, the interests that are involved. Um, I thought that uh, Rafa did the right thing. Um, we're looking here, we got a graph up that he got called for up for 25 games. 25 t- t- times he got called up. He, was o- he only started eight games uh, out of that. Uh, and then we have that whole story that is that started or came off the bench started eight games 17 uh, off the bench okay so he's participated in 25 games he's been obviously I think he's been called up more than that obviously but that's the stats and then you had um, you had that whole story that Rafa was hurt before uh, the Serbia game and it was a game that Portugal played and there was a story that the players that the papers ran that um, Rafa didn't show commitment to the national team. Fernando Sancho would eventually come out and, and kind of 
denied those words, but there was something that came out, and Rafa was was left, you know, I, I don't know, he must have been left with with a bad taste in his mouth. Um, and then there was the the whole thing. If you guys uh, recall, um, there was a call up for the for the playoffs, right? For that the playoffs that Portugal had to play, and Rafa wasn't included. And at that time, if you guys remember, it coincided with Rafa scoring that amazing goal where he dribbled like three or four guys uh, from the midfield and scored, and he didn't really celebrate. And at the time, we questioned it. I said, well, why didn't he celebrate a goal that was probably is going to be on his highlight reel of best of all time goals that he's ever scored? And it was right around the time that national team call-up list came out, and he wasn't there and I don't know if that had something to do with it, but certainly there's been a little bit of animosity or, or separation between Rafa and the national team. Uh, so I, I think that, to me, I would I would do the same thing. He's going there and he's not getting the start. Um, he said that he, he want he kind of renounced the national team and he's no longer going to play for the national team because of personal reasons. And he hopes uh, that those could be left in in private. But and he wants to focus 100% on Benfica. And, and like I understand from a, a Benfica standpoint, I wish that no Benfica players were going to the national team. To be honest with you, because like I said, I, I don't identify with this national team. Um, but um, yeah, um, I, what do you, what are your thoughts, Dave? What, what do you think about uh, about this this whole Hoffa thing? I mean. Um... I, now, now that you're bringing back some points about uh, that time he scored that goal and he was left off the the national team that time around, uh, it's bringing back some some memories. So, at that time, he wasn't playing well. He was definitely not up to his form. Benfica wasn't up to their form as well. So there was an argument to be made there that he wasn't. Um, he wasn't on the top top of his form to qualify for uh, a, a call up in that position, but uh, I remember, I believe it must have been the Euro twenty twenty when they played it in in twenty twenty one, and they expanded the rosters. And you and I and Cristiano discussed Rafa being one of those last roster spots, and he barely just made it on that squad because they had expanded the rosters um, because of COVID at, at that time, and. To be honest, in that tournament, I wasn't expecting him to play a, a single minute, but um, he he surprised me when he came off that the bench. And right, how many times have we discussed Rafa and speed? And Chris always says you can't teach speed, and he was a, a much needed uh, injection of speed in that Fernando Santos Fernando Santos uh, system, right? So, um, gonna be a little bit disappointed not to see him um, at the World Cup, but again. For the limited minutes that he did, he was being used. Um, I'll be much. I'll be happy to take those uh, those minutes on Benfica and have him uh, rest up during the international break. Yeah, look, I I think that, and I, and Rafa is going to know this better than anyone, right? But if you you get called to a group and within that group, there's those favorite players that always get the playing time, and other guys are kind of seen as fillers. And maybe that's that's what Rafa feels that he's he's a bit of a filler within the national team, that he doesn't really have a real role, nor is he taken serious as um, as a viable as a viable uh, option. 
Um, I spoke to Cristiano yesterday, and he was asking, "What do you, what do you think about this Rafa thing?" And his thing was was twofold. Also, one, he, he kind of understood that you know if you get called all the time and you don't get used, you know, and and then there's this this whole history behind the questioning his commitment. He understood that, but he also he made a point for. Being called to the national team should always be a motive of uh, of to being honored, to represent your your country in the in the biggest competitions and in, in the biggest games. That that should always be something that you that you welcome. So I understood that when Cristiano says, I just think that there's other things that we're not aware of that went on, um, whether it was made public by the media or not. But I think that you know. Rafa respectively decided to bow down at 29 years old. I mean, he's not 24 or 25 where he still has a lot of years that he can represent the national team. But as he looks at this national team, he sees the roster and he sees the guys that are most likely going to get the time. When is he going to get that time to play? Yeah. And is it just a a big waste? Not that it's a big waste, as Cristiano mentioned. It's, you know, being called up to the national team, whether you play or not, it shouldn't be a waste of your time. It should be a, you know, a feeling of of honor and pride. And this this national team is, is at a crossroads, uh, anyways. If uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is Fernando Santos' last tournament in, in charge, right? And they are supposed to have somebody else in charge to lead them I to the, so. the World Cup qualifying right i think who knows yeah i think they are they're at a crossroads with this this team you've seen a lot of these same faces um represent the uh, the country here so um an injection of some new new blood into the the program wouldn't hurt um the national team and like you said it's not like rafa's um um younger than he is he is 29 and usually these decisions are made into uh in your younger 30s but if he doesn't feel like he's being utilized and uh, hey like i said we'll take him and uh, we'll give him the extra the extra rest there yeah um Reis, uh, clearly uh there's more more to this than than we think or or maybe he really hates Santos, which i don't blame him uh, and then he says i gotta say he's got balls for doing this with a contract up in two years You'd think being a national team player would only boast his next contract. I think that look. I think that Rafa at the at the age that he's at, uh, and I think there was a, a piece of news on on a paper that Pefica was looking to extend his contract for another two years. He's 29. Um, at 31, let let him finish out at 31, and and then maybe take on a a, a role in a in a in a lower team or like maybe finish uh, finish up at uh at braga where he where he played i i don't know uh but i don't know i i i don't think that rafa is thinking uh about this world cup as a trampoline for for a big um for a big contract um and i think a player like that you know is always you know very um is a player that it's attractive to to watch. I'm sure that he could go to the Middle East and and, and make some money. Uh, I'm sure he could come to the MLS and and, and make a nice a nice chunk of change even at 31, 32 because he will still have that speed and that touch. But uh, I don't know. I don't think he would uh, look at the World Cup as a trampoline to um, to get a bigger contract. 
Um, anyway, uh, last topic. October. Busy October. Oktoberfest for Benfica. Uh, we got uh, Vitória, uh, which is Guimarães on the 1st. Then we got uh, PSG on the 5th. Uh, Rio Ave on the 8th. PSG on the 8th. Porto. Uh, P- PSG on the 11th, sorry, Porto on the 21st. So there's a there's a 10-day break there between PSG and, and, and Porto. Um, take that, inter- another international break? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, but yeah, PSG, Porto on the 21st, Juventus on the 25th, and, and then Chaves on the 29th. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 games in a... It could be. It could be a tasa. It could be a tasa game. It could be a tasa game. So that would be eight games in October for Benfica. So that's two games a week, basically. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting, and what we, we got to see uh, what the um. What international if there's any international break injuries, man? I would I would hate to see players come back from these silly international breaks with injuries. <coughs> so, yeah, I noticed that too. No, I just think it's something else. Hold on a second, Dave. Um, go ahead, speak. I don't know, but we're gonna close it up. We're gonna close it up, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for sitting with us, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Dave, always good to speak to you, buddy. Later.